heard something earlier this year that uh, has just kind of stuck with me. I was on a Zoom call with about 40 different pastors from across the country, and the guy who was presenting uh, said a statement that uh, I've just really kind of seen the truth in since then, and and I want to see if maybe you feel this way as well. This is what he said. He said, sustained stress and extended ambiguity are a cocktail for anxiety and depression. Let me say that again. Sustained stress and extended ambiguity. Are there two phrases that better capture what the last 18, 19 months have felt like than that? But, But these two things are a cocktail for anxiety and depression. And, and I, would, I would respectfully add to that, not, not just do these things kind of come together and raise up our anxiety levels and maybe even uh, make us more aware of, of some depression that we are dealing with. I, I would say that, that when these two things come together, they also increase our levels of anger too. In fact, I was talking to one of our men's groups about this on Wednesday night and and we all agreed that it just kind of seems like anger is the dominant emotion of our day. I see it everywhere I go, in traffic, at Kroger, on the community. It just seems like everyone is right on the edge and it doesn't take much just for that anger to flare up. My guess is that you've probably seen it too. And in times of anger and stress, many people resort to to drinking their sorrows away. Kind of like these two brothers. Let's check this out. I love it. I love it. Sometimes we just need to laugh with good friends and a cold drink every now and then. I think all of us could use a little bit more of whatever those guys are drinking. (laughs) Man, times of stress and ambiguity and all of this, it can just be exhausting, can it? I know I feel it. I bet you feel it too. You might feel it in different ways. You may feel it in your family. (laughs) You may feel it at work, you may even feel it here in church. Times of stress and ambiguity can just be exhausting. And I think after a while, what tends to happen is that we, we look for someone or something to rescue us from that, or we look for someone or something to put the blame on. And sometimes we do both. Sometimes we, we look for someone to, to save us, to kind of pull us out and set us in the right direction. We want someone to provide all of the answers, to give us the resources that we need, to give us some kind of sense of clarity of the direction that we are, are heading. We, we want a non-anxious presence to just reassure us like, hey, it's gonna be okay. We're gonna get through this together to kind of give us calm and peace when we go through difficult situations. But I think it's also human nature uh, to look for someone to blame. Like someone that we can point the finger at and say, this is your fault. You know, if it wasn't for you, then we wouldn't be in this mess. We don't just look for a hero. We also look for an enemy. We look for a villain. 
someone that we can pin it on. And we've certainly seen plenty of examples of that too over the last 18, 19 months. But this isn't new for our time. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Go back all the way, all the way to Genesis chapter three, story of the fall, Adam and Eve, the very first time they sin, what do they do? First thing they do is they hide. They hide from each other. They hide from themselves. They hide from God. And then they point fingers. They point fingers at one another and says, this is your fault. Adam points a finger at God saying, this is your fault. So we hide and then we blame. And we see this trend that started at Genesis 3 continue all the way today. And you can just track it. You can track it through scripture. You can track it throughout history. And we see it even in the life of Moses, the person that we're going to be studying and looking at this morning. So Moses led God's people out of slavery and Egypt and and into the promised land. He, he was both, uh, in this, this time, as he was leading Israel, he was both a hero and a villain, depending on what was going on at the, at the time. As they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, the Israelites looked to Moses to guide them. It's almost like be their shepherd. And, and, and they looked to Moses to, to, for direction of where they were going, but also to kind of be a mouthpiece and, and speak on behalf of God to them. And so they, they wanted Moses to rescue them and to lead them, but they were also very quick to point the finger at him when anything went wrong and said, this is your fault, you're to blame. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be in this situation. And in our text today, I think that we can learn a couple of things about what to do and about what not to do when we're stressed out, frustrated, angry. But I think we can also learn a lot about the people that God chooses to use and sets apart for his plans and his purposes. And that's really what today's sermon is about. Who are the people that God chooses to set apart by his love and for his purposes. And if you've been through scripture at all, you know it's kind of a shady group of characters sometimes, and Moses was one of them. If you have a a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, it's the fourth book in the Bible, so pretty early on there. We'll also have the words up on the screen so you can follow along up there. I think if God had a a Mount Rushmore, Moses would certainly be on it. There's really no one more important than than Moses uh, to Israel and to the Jewish faith. There's certainly people who are as as important as as Moses, but no one really more important than him. He's right up there with Abraham and, and David. And God sets Moses apart by his love and for his purposes. He uses Moses to lead his people out of Egyptian slavery and into a land that he had set apart for them, land that he had promised all the way back to Abraham. And Moses experienced some remarkable things throughout his life. God first spoke to Moses through a burning bush. He used him to stand up to Pharaoh and to free his people. As they were fleeing Egypt, they they came across the Red Sea and and, and Israel was in hot pursuit of them. They're like, oh, what are we gonna do now? And God said, watch this. And he parted the sea and the Israelites walked across on dry ground. And then when they got to the other side, they looked back just as time to see the sea collapse on those who were chasing after them. God led them through the wilderness 
with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He provided everything that they needed, bread and water and and food. He took care of them and he used Moses to do it. Moses saw God do some incredible things and God used Moses in some incredible ways. But that doesn't mean that Moses was perfect. In fact, he was far from it. There are moments when Moses loses his patience and his temper, and he has these epic outbursts of anger. When he was a young man, he killed an Egyptian soldier with his bare hands. When he comes down from the mountain holding the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments that God had carved out and chiseled into these tablets, he comes down and he sees the the Israelites and what they're doing after he had been up on this mountain for 40 days, and he just, in his frustration, he throws the tablets down on the ground, shattering them into pieces. And if there's one moment of anger that I, that I, I would imagine Moses wished that he could go back and, and redo, that he could take back, that he could, he could try again, I think it's the one that we're gonna be looking at today. Moses is in a pretty difficult place when we find him here in Numbers chapter 20. In the very first verse, we learn that his sister just died. And that causes a whole lot of pain and stress as many of you know. At the end of the chapter, his brother Aaron dies as well. And right in the middle, I mean, all all along through this, you add to all of that stress, Moses has been leading the nation of Israel, about 1.8 million people through this barren wilderness for nearly 39 years. Moses knows what sustained stress and extended ambiguity feels like. He's been living in it for almost four decades. And now in Numbers 20, a bad situation gets worse. There's no water for the people and their livestock to drink, and they're angry, and they're angry with Moses. Look at, look at our text, Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 2. It says, now when there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron... They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died with our brothers, fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. The, the people turn on Moses and they start blaming him for all of their problems. They take their anger out on him and they say, Moses, why did you bring us here? There's no water, there's no food, our pets' heads are falling off. Like this is the worst place that we could possibly be. We have got to get out of here. There's just frustration after frustration after frustration, what does Moses do? He does what every one of us should do when we feel overwhelmed by anger, when we feel overwhelmed by the situation and by sorrow and by despair and frustration. He goes and he talks to God. Before he talks to the people, Moses goes to talk to God. Verse six, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. 
Moses and Aaron, they go to the tabernacle to pray. And don't, and don't miss this. While the Israelites are pointing at Moses, saying, this is your fault, they are, they are blaming him. They, 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 look, they took their anger and their frustration out on Moses. Moses took his anger and frustration to the Lord. He took all of what he was feeling to the Lord. And I read that and I, and I start to look at my own life and maybe you do too. And so let me ask you, when you feel angry and frustrated, do you take it to God or do you take it out on others? And before you're too quick to answer, maybe think about the person closest to you, maybe the person that's even sitting right next to you right now. Think about how they would answer that. When you get angry and frustrated, do you take it to God or do you take it out on others? And I'll be the first to admit that my track record on this has not always been the greatest. (laughs) There have been times where I've had to go back and clean up the mess that my anger has made. I'm sure many of us have been there. We certainly have plenty of examples of what it looks like to take our anger out on others. And again, as as our society just becomes more and more angry and stressed out, we we just have example after example after example that pops up every single day that we can can point to. I recently heard about two cousins in Fort Myer, Florida. They They were having a family get together at grandma's house and they were all hanging out in the kitchen and then a fight broke out between these two cousins in grandma's kitchen and it became so violent that then it spilled out into the living room and then the living room couldn't even contain it and so it spilled out into the front yard. And one of the cousins had a pocket knife on him and so he pulled out his pocket knife and he started slashing and stabbing at one of his other cousins and actually made contact a couple of times. And it's just a chaotic scene. The family members call the police. The neighbors come out, just all the commotion, look around like, what in the world is going on? They call the police. The police show up. One of the cousins is charged with aggravated battery because of the assault with this pocket knife. And, and it's, it's so sad. Like the... the police officers that were there working the, the scene were like, how in the world did this begin? And family members told them that it all started over an argument in grandma's kitchen about which one was better, almond milk or whole milk. True story. I know, right? Like, we have to laugh to keep from crying. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and, and, and I look at that and I think, well, you know, I may disagree with both of them and say that 1% is far superior. Can I get an amen on that? But... Like, I'm not going to go around stabbing people about this. It's not that big of, of a deal. But I think that this story, what it shows us is just how quick we are to get angry and to take our anger and our frustration out. Because my guess is that it wasn't about the milk. It's never about the milk. There's probably a whole lot of tension that was underneath that. That we just, The longer we, we live without resolving that anger and doing something with it, It comes out in ways that we look back and go, what in the world was I thinking? What was I doing? We react in our anger instead of responding to our anger. And so Moses falls down before the Lord out of desperation and exhaustion. He takes his anger to God, but, and this isn't important, but he doesn't fully surrender. And so he he takes the first right step. He takes his anger to God, but he doesn't fully surrender it to God. 
to God. Instead, his frustrations kind of get the best of him, and Moses does uh, what he wants to do, even though God gave him some very specific instructions. Look at verse seven. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, so far like everything is going really well, right? Doing exactly what God told them to do. And then it goes off the rails just a little bit. Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Well, that wasn't in there. <laughs> That's not what God told them to say. Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? That's a very interesting use of the word we there. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. People are celebrating, they're excited, they're filling their buckets with water, giving it to their families and their livestock. Everyone is satisfied, but Moses is fuming, he's angry, and all of his frustration from the last 40 years just comes pouring out, comes pouring out like water from this rock. And while the people celebrate, God says to Moses, we need to talk. He says in verse 12, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. And these words have got to be absolutely devastating to Moses. After everything that he had done, after all the ways that God had used him, everything that he had seen, Moses would not enter the promised land. It seems harsh. But I think it's a good reminder for us today. It's a good reminder to us that our outbursts of anger have consequences. They have consequences. And again, many of us know what it's like to live with the weight of those consequences and having to go back and clean up the mess that our anger has made. And sometimes it damages relationships to the point where it's irrevocable and there are people in your life who love you but they've had to just put up boundaries around you to protect themselves and their own hearts. And by lashing out in anger and verbally chastising the Israelites and taking matters into his own hands, Moses showed a lack of faith in trust in the Lord. I, I think he was disappointed that God didn't stick up for him. In fact, I would, I would say that Moses and Aaron went to the tabernacle that day, not, not to pray, Lord, help us to, to heal from this anger. We give this to you. I think that they went to the tabernacle that day to say, God, these people are upsetting us. Like, what are you going to do? They just keep complaining. Do something about this. And, and God's like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show them grace. And Moses is like, no, 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 I don't want grace. I want wrath right now, God. <laughs> You, you need to do something about this. And when, and when it was clear that God was not going to, that like he was just gonna pour out his grace, Moses is like, okay, I'm gonna to have to do it myself. 
And he goes back and he takes his anger and his frustration out because he didn't feel like God was going to do enough for him. And when God wanted to show them grace, Moses wanted to show them wrath. But God wanted to show them one more time just how much he could trust them. That he would provide all that they need. And even though God's judgment would come down on Moses in verse 12, God's grace continues to be on him. God continues to use Moses to lead his people. And I imagine after that, Moses led with a little bit more grace and a little bit more humility himself. Dwight L. Moody sums up Moses' life like this. He says, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was somebody. He spent the second 40 years of his life learning that he was a nobody. And he spent the third 40 years of his life discovering what God can do with a nobody. Towards the end of his life, as the Israelites are about to enter the promised land on a, on a journey that Moses will not be on, God speaks yet another word of grace to Moses. It's our core verse for the week. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command them. God says, Moses, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to raise up a prophet like you from the Israelites. And what he's doing here is, is God is pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus and he's saying, Moses, you're a mess. <laughs> I love you, but you're a mess. But I'm going to use that mess that you are and the example that you've left and everything that you've done. And it's going to foreshadow my son. It's going to foreshadow Jesus and what he is going to do for my people. And I imagine Moses hearing these words and thinking, someone like me? God, do you know me? Do you remember what I've done in my anger? Remember that I've killed someone, that I smashed the tablets that you gave me, that I lashed out and took matters into my own hands, took my anger out on them? And God's like, yeah. And I'm gonna use you to point to Jesus anyway. See, Moses' ministry did not begin well. It didn't always go well. And it certainly didn't end well either. But that didn't keep God from using him. He set Moses aside by his love and for his purposes. And not only did God use Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and through the wilderness, God used Moses for the greatest purpose of all, to point people to Jesus. And if God can use someone like Moses, then I'm telling you, he can use someone like you too. He can use someone like me. God can use people who don't always get it right, who sometimes take their anger and frustrations out on others instead of to God. And the truth is, is that God does not need your perfection, but he wants your willingness. Your willingness to be used by him, to be set apart by his love and for his purposes. And when we do, God takes our faults and our flaws and all, and he uses us like Moses to point to Jesus a prophet like Moses, but who is the truer and better one. You see, Moses delivered his people from slavery, but Jesus saves us from the bondage of sin. Moses offered bread in the wilderness, but Jesus is the bread of life. Moses provided water from the rock, but Jesus is the rock 
from which living water flows. Moses instituted Passover. Jesus is the Passover lamb who gave himself to take away our sin. Moses imperfectly obeyed God, but Jesus obeyed his every command and spoke his every word. The world does not need your perfection. They need Jesus. God does not need your perfection. Instead, he makes you perfect. He makes you holy when you put your faith and your trust in him. And then he sends you out to live and serve and love like Jesus and to point people to him. Only Jesus satisfies what our souls deeply desire. Only Jesus refreshes us. Only Jesus saves us from our sin. And only Jesus gives us hope when life is stressful and there's no end or answers in sight. Only Jesus. Do you know him today? following him and trusting him. Not, not did you know him at one point in your life? Did you follow and trust him at one point? But today, do you know him? He knows you. And he loves you. And he is calling you to follow him, maybe for the first time, maybe for the next time, and to take that step towards him. And when you do, he welcomes you with open arms no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, what you've done, he makes you holy. He makes you perfect. He sets you apart for him. And we go out and we serve and we help others find Jesus too. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your grace and for your love. Thank you for setting us apart for your plans and your purpose by your love, Lord. We know that we do not deserve it. And yet, God, your seems like your uh, path is to use broken people like us, like Moses, to point others to Jesus. And so God, may we be willing to be used however you see fit. And may you take our faults, our flaws, our brokenness and all, and use it for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.